Welcome to the Church of Rocky Peaks downloadable messages and podcast. Well, good morning. Good to see you. Uh, what a day out there, huh? Just beautiful. Uh, good to be here. My name is uh, Mike. I'm the lead pastor here at the church at Rocky Peak. And so if you're here for the very first time, uh, we are especially want to welcome you. Glad you're here. We're just kind of praying that God would, would bring his people who want to know him, uh, be transformed, changed by him, help us change the world. And so if you're, if you're here, we're just glad to have you. Um, in a couple of minutes, we're going to go through our, our, our time of teaching. Inside your program is a white message note sheet that if you're new, you'll want to pull that out because you, we, we do that every week. Uh, before we jump in, though, uh, just real quickly, i got one announcement for you. Um, uh, this, this Wednesday night, we're kicking off our summer session of what we call our essentials here. For those of you who are brand new, the, the first essential, kind of essential, is a, is a course uh, in, in following Christ that we believe is absolutely essential to walking well with Him. It kind of tackles a, a topic that we think is absolutely essential. And this first one's called Pursuing God, a one-on-one. And so what this course is about is, is what we believe is that to, to walk well with God, we really need kind of three, um, three components in our relationship with Him. We, we need kind of the weekend service where we come together to grow together, encounter Him in the Word and in worship. And then we, we need a small group experience where we can grow with some other believers, kind of share life, do life together. And then on top of that, we, we need to learn how to spend time with Him one-on-one. And of those three areas, what I find is for most Christ followers, the, the weekend worship, kind of we get that, small group, we're, we get that. But when it comes to spending time with him one-on-one, like we know we're supposed to and we, and we really want to, but maybe we've tried that, it's been, we haven't figured it out, it's boring, we're not sure where to start, whatever. And so we put together this whole course um, that's designed to help you learn how to spend time with God in a way that kind of really nourishes you, feeds your soul, connects you with Christ, you learn how to hear his voice, study the word on your own. Uh, pray, journal, uh, uh, just kind of find out how God's wired you to connect one-on-one. And so uh, we did this last summer, had a great time. It's a nine-week course. It starts, uh, like I said, this Wednesday night. And so there's still time to sign up for that. If you took it last summer and, and you want to take it again, that's great. We've got a special alumni deal for you. And so, um, so you just go online and sign up for that, all right? So that, that's it in terms of announcements. So, uh, so how are you all doing today? We're in a good space? We're good. You're sounding pretty good in worship, like you're awake. So that's, that's always encouraging to me. Uh, so we're going to go into a uh, time of teaching now. Are you all ready? All right, let's, uh, let's pray and then jump in. Uh, Father, we're excited about what you're doing here in our lives and in our church and how you're, you're waking us up, you're, you're calling us on, you're unleashing week by week uh, an increasing movement of, of truly passionate Christ followers who are pursuing you and loving others and serving sacrificially and sharing the message and the movement of Jesus. And so as we come today, we, we recognize that today's the next step in that journey. And so I, I pray that you just come, give me great freedom as I, as I teach, Lord. I pray that your spirit would work in and through me. I pray that as a church, we would gather around your word and listen well to what your spirit would say to us today, and that as a result, we'd be changed and transformed in the process. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, our story starts today. It's about 2,000 years before the time of Christ. So we're going we're to re, kind of rewind the clock. We're going to go back 2,000 years before the time of Jesus. And, and he's, uh, as far as we know, he's just a pagan guy, grown up in a pagan city, urban setting. Uh, he's 75 years old. His, his parents were, were idol worshipers. Probably the moon god was worshipped in his city. And, uh, and on this particular day, God shows up and, and reveals himself to him, the true God. And of course, 
We don't really know. Is this the first time? Has it happened before? We don't really know from the story. But God shows up, and he makes him this long set of promises and says, if you trust me, if you follow me, that, that I, I will do all these things in your life. And one of the things I'll do is that I'll turn you into a great nation, and I'll bless the whole world through you. And so at 75 years old, he decides to follow this God who's revealed himself, and he leaves his homeland, leaves his city, leaves his extended family, and he, he heads out, not knowing where he's going. He's just going to follow where, where God tells him to go. And so that's age 75, all right? So now we're jumping ahead in time. It's, he's now 85. It's been 10, it's 10 years later. And, and so many of God's promises have come true. He, God, God's uh, blessed him, protected him. He's become a very wealthy man. His entourage probably has maybe a thousand people in it now. Uh, and he's extremely wealthy. He's got his own private army and so on. So, so God has really come through in his promises. But there's one promise he hasn't come through on, and it's the key one. And that's that even though he, he's 85, his wife is 75, they don't have any children. And as you know, it's hard to start a nation without at least one son. And so they're, they're kind of up against it. And so they, they start to panic a little bit, and they decide they're going to help God out. Have you ever been there? Just kind of, I'm not sure God, this promise is working out, so maybe you just need a little bit of help, just kind of jump in. <laughs> and so they decide to, uh, they come up with a plan, and it's the biggest mistake of their lives. Well, today we're, uh, we're continuing this series that we've been in now the last couple months. It's a series that's called Freedom, and for those of you who are brand new, again, special welcome I always like to start at the beginning, just a couple minutes, set it up so, so that those who are new are, can catch up with us. Uh, here, here's the scene. This is a, a, a letter. We're stu- the study is about a letter. We're studying a letter from the Apostle Paul uh, to, one of, to several churches that he and his ministry partner, a man named Barnabas, had recently started in the area that would today be called uh, Turkey. It was, it was kind of a, a province called uh, uh, Galatia, a Roman province called Galatia at the time. And so they, they'd gone in, they'd share the message of Jesus, which, you know, the message of Jesus is it doesn't really matter where you're coming from in your life. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how far you are from God. It doesn't matter your religious background or ritual or whatever, that if you want a relationship with God, you can have one. And it's not about you. It's your resume, your spiritual, what you're com- It's about Jesus. It's about what he's done for us in his life, death, and resurrection. And so they'd share this message, and people had come to Christ. Their lives had been changed. God's spirit comes in powerful time. But, but then what happens next is that Paul and Barnabas leave, some new teachers come in, some false teachers, some Jewish teachers, and, and what they say is that, hey, it's great that you've started this new relationship with God through Jesus, but if you really want to grow up spiritually, if you truly want to be right with God, if you want to be saved, that, then you need to do what God's people have always done. You need to start following the Old Testament kind of laws, circumcision, food laws, and this sort of thing, and otherwise you can't be saved. And so, um, so for the last uh, four chapters in Galatians, we've been following the Apostle Paul. He says that is absolutely not true, and he's been arguing from his own uh, experience, his own personal experience meeting Jesus on the road to Damascus, becoming an apostle. He's argued from their personal experience of how when they came to believe in Jesus, how the Spirit came in their life, that was proof this was the right message. He's argued from the Bible, especially from the life of Abraham, the Old Testament, that this is the way God's always related to his people, by, by faith and not by performance. And so he's been laying it out. Well, today he comes, we come to a really fascinating passage. And it's in chapter four. And, and frankly, it's, it's one of the toughest passages. Well, it is one of the top two toughest passages we're going to cover in all of Galatians. Like, I don't know if you were here about three weeks ago, but we did one in chapter three. And, and I said, this is probably the toughest passage 
that we're going to face. Some of you hear that? You remember that, that one? And, and I promise you that if you, if you hang in there, it'll be worth it. And then it was worth it, right? So I, I got to give you that speech again. This, this, is, this is like, like American Idol finalists. Like, which is the, the worst passage? One or two? You know, it's like you got, you've narrowed it down to two. This is like one of the hardest passages. And, and to get at it today, what I need to do is give you some significant backstory to this, okay? So, um, so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called uh, Abraham and Sarah and Hagar, the backstory. And, and so why don't you just kind of sit back and relax like you're already doing. And, uh, and, and, and I just want you to take this in, okay? So you can take notes if you want, but we're not going to look at any scripture. I'm just going to tell you the whole backstory. But because the Apostle Paul, he, he, he's going to teach us today in chapter 4, he assumes we know all this. And, and so the passage we're going to look at is incredibly difficult but on top of that, he assumes we know everything. And so in order to, before we can even get to the difficult passage, we've got to at least get up to speed on the backstory. Okay, so here's the story. The story is the story we started the day with. It's the story of Abraham. And so, so Abraham grows up in, in a pagan city, uh, urban setting, and, and at age 75, God appears to him. We don't know if it's the first time. God appears and says, I'm the true God. I want you to follow me. Leave everything you know. Take your immediate family. Go to a land that I'll show you. And, and if you do, I, w- I will bless you. Uh, I'll prosper you. I'll protect you. I'll turn you into a great nation. And through you, I will bless the whole world. And so Abraham decides to trust this God. Now, this is totally a faith walk, isn't it? It's like he doesn't know where he's going. It's a brand new God. It's a total faith walk. And that's how God wanted it. He, he wanted to start this new nation with a faith walk. Because that's how all of our relationship starts with God, with a faith walk. And, and so he, he, uh, he calls Abraham to follow him. So, so Abraham goes and they end up what is, what is now the land of Israel. That's where he ends up. And, and when he gets there, uh, over the next 10 years, God keeps his promise. He, he blesses him. He protects him. He becomes extremely wealthy in this time. And he, he actually has a private army of over 300 men. It's probably 1,000 people in, in his camp. And so he, he's very well off. But the one thing he doesn't have is a son. And, and of course, you can't have a nation without like, a son. And, and so they're, you know, he's 85. His wife's 75. They're getting on in years, uh, past childbearing years. And so uh, they're, they're getting a little panicky. And so what happens is that Sarah comes to him. And Sarah's thinking, you know, I think I may be the problem. Um, I think that I may be the one that's unable to have children. And so she comes to him, and she makes a suggestion. Now, her suggestion in, in our world, in our culture right now, sounds kind of ludicrous, but in their world, this was fairly common. This is like if you didn't have an heir in that culture, and you were wealthy, and you had some servants or slaves, you could have a child through a slave and then legally adopt that child. We know this from archaeology at the time. You could, you could legally adopt that child to be your legal heir. So Sarah comes to him and says, hey, I've got this idea. It's not working out. God's made this promise. Maybe he wants us to help. And so here's what, what I said. Why don't you take my personal slave? Uh, her name is Hagar. She's an Egyptian slave. And, and why don't you sleep with her and see if, if we can get pregnant through her, and then we can have this heir. And so, so I, I don't know how long they discussed this at Starbucks, but they decided this is a good plan. And so, yeah, yeah, you're right. Okay, let's go pick up. Yeah. So, um, so they decide to, this plan. So we don't know how long this takes. So he sleeps with Hagar until she gets pregnant. And so it's, it seems to be working out. And, and so now she's pregnant. They have a child, and they name this child Ishmael. Now, uh, at this point uh, in the story, they're, they're probably pretty excited because their plan's working. This is how they've been. But, but God is less than excited. <laughs> 
Because you've you got to catch this, that, that God wants to start a new nation. And through that nation, he is going to bring the Messiah into the world through whom we can all be rescued. That's the plan. And, and God has chosen a family, a, a husband and wife, that are barren for a reason. Because he wants from the very beginning of this story to, to be a story about faith in God and the supernatural work of his spirit. Those two things we see. That's what the story's about. It's, this is how all of our life works with God. It's faith in God. It's supernatural work of his spirit, our relationship. And so from the very beginning, that's how he wants this story to happen. And so, uh, so anyway, God's not really happy, but, but they're happy. Uh, they have a son, Ishmael. Now, uh, once they have this son, uh, things begin to unravel for them. Because uh, what, what happens is that uh, Hagar, who was once just a slave woman, uh, she is now the mother of the heir of a child that's screaming. No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> she, she, she is mother. Uh, <laughs> whatever, just kind of work with whatever you give me. Uh, <laughs> So she, 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 is, she is the mother uh, of the heir of this whole estate, right? And so her stock in the community has gone up because in that day and age, a, a woman's worth was largely tied to her ability to have sons. And so her stock has gone huge. She's still a slave, and technically her son is a slave, but, but he is the heir now. And, and so she is the mother, like the queen bee of the hive now. And so she begins to look down on Sarah. You know, I could do what you couldn't do. And, and so I, like, I've got it going here. And so now we've got this major cat fight going. And, and they just never saw this coming. And so there is hostility going on. You, you can imagine this, you know, around the family dinner table, right? You've got uh, slave mother there. You've got child there. You've got uh, wife there. You've got Abraham there. This is not a happy family. And so for the next 13 years, this is the tension they live with in their family. Uh, but, but when, it's, when uh, Abraham turns 99, God shows up. And God says, uh, remember that promise I made 24 years ago? Uh, it's time for me to cash in. And a year from now, you're going to have a son. It's going to be supernatural work of my spirit. I'm going to come to Sarah. I'm going to heal her womb. And, and so you're going to be able to have this child. And so they're like, oh, great, you know. So, so now they're excited, of course, they're going to have a, this real son from the two of them. So a year from now, he's born. His name is Isaac. And, of course, he's a free, he's not a slave, he's a free child. And, and so now the tension between Hagar and Sarah really begins to escalate. Because now you've got two sons vying for the inheritance. And so uh, now it gets really testy. And about two or three years into this, uh, this tod- well, he's a toddler, Isaac's now a toddler, two or three years in, uh, they have a party. Because you know when you have your firstborn, you celebrate everything, right? When you're secondborn, whatever, we've been there, done that. But first, firstborn, you celebrate everything. And so uh, it's time for the, uh, Isaac to, wean- to be weaned, to no longer be breastfed. So they're going to have this party to celebrate. And at the party, Ishmael, who's now like 15 years old, 16 years old, he's playing, in the Hebrew, he's playing with uh, Isaac. And, and in the Hebrew, the word can also be translated mocking. And so the Bible doesn't tell us everything that's going on, but there is this major sibling rivalry that's starting to happen between these two people vying for the estate. 
And so Sarah sees this and she says, time out. I've had enough of this. I'm sick of that lady. That was the worst decision I ever made. I can't stand Hagar. I can't stand the way she looks at me. I can't stand the way her son treats my son. There's no way that her son is going to get the estate of my son. Abraham, kick him out. Oh, so you love your son, Ishmael. Man, he's been the apple of your eye for like 13 years, so you had this other son. And so you love him, so now you're stuck between your son and your wife. Now, a wise man always chooses his wife. <laughs> and so, so sure enough, he's stuck, and so God comes to him in the midst of this, and he says, hey, listen, I know it's a tough situation, but you need to do what your wife says. You, you need to go ahead and, and, and kind of kick her out of the community with your son, uh, don't, trust me, I'll take care of him. In fact, I'll turn him into a great nation. And, and, and Ishmael will become the father of the Arab nations. And he will live in Arabia, if you can see the correlation. And so, uh, so he says, I will take care of him. But he says, but God says, my plan all along is to create this nation through this miracle child created by faith and by my spirit. And, and so, so that's the story, okay? So, so before we even go to chapter 4 of Galatians, Paul assumes we've got that story down pat, that we know that story. Now, before we go to Galatians 4, let me say just a couple things about this story. Here's what Paul's going to say. He's going to say, in this Old Testament account, this Old Testament story, there's actually a very powerful spiritual principle. What he's going to say is these, these two moms, these two pregnancies, one supernatural, one natural. These two sons, one slave and one free, that they actually represent kind of two different ways to try to have a relationship with God. And one way is we try by our own self-effort to create our future. Um, and, and when that happens, we become spiritual slaves. Uh, the other way is to trust God, what he's going to do for our future, supernaturally, the spirit. And when we do that, that, that we become like true children of Abraham, Isaac, uh, sons, sons and daughters of God. That's what he's going to say. The weird thing about this is you go in the passage, I'm, I'm telling you, it is probably the weird, one of the weirdest Pauline passages in the New Testament because there is no place else in all of his 13 letters where Paul takes an Old Testament story, event, and allegorizes it, you know, like Pilgrim's Progress, to where the characters Hagar and Sarah and Abraham and Isaac, they represent spiritual truth. Like no place else does he interpret the Bible like that. It's just kind of weird, which has led scholars to believe, many scholars believe that what's happening is that in the churches of Galatia, these false Jewish teachers were actually taking the story of Hagar and Sarah, Ishmael and Isaac, and they were using it as a case study to show that unless you follow all the Jewish laws and circumcision and so on, you're not a true child of Abraham. You're more like Ishmael. You're kind of a half-breed. And so, th so the theory is that Paul's speaking into this environment. He says, no, that's not what this story is teaching. Let me tell you the spiritual truth you know, behind it. So be that as it may, you've got the background now to understand a very difficult passage, okay? So let's take our Bibles. Let's go to uh, Galatians chapter 4, and we'll run through uh, as quickly as possible. And like I said, it definitely it's a tough passage. Hang in there. Uh, it will be over before long. So uh, it's kind of like the dentist. And... Uh, and then I promise you, at the end result, there's going to be some great, great stuff we learn, all right? So, so once again, I'm asking you to trust me. Here we go. Uh, chapter 4 and verse 21. So tell me, 
you who want to be under the law. So, so remember, he's writing this letter to these new converts, and, and the false teachers are there in Galatia, and, and they're trying to get them to be under the law. And there's some of the new Christians in Galatia who are buying into it. So Paul says, tell me, you who want to be under the law, um, are you not aware of what the law, the Old Testament, says? And he says, and he says for it's written, he's going to go back to this story that we've talked about, that Abraham had two sons. So who are the two sons? Ishmael and Isaac. Okay, good. Um, and one by the slave woman, that's who? Hagar, good. And the other is by the free woman, who's that? Sarah, good. So his son by the slave woman was born in the ordinary way. Remember, like, Abraham just went in, had sexual relations with this, this Egyptian slave. Um, but his son by the free woman, by Sarah, she was born as a result of a promise. In other words, a miracle, supernatural. And God made the promise that supernaturally by his spirit made it possible. So he said these things may be taken figuratively, allegorically, uh, in the Greek, it's allegorically, it's uh, a, a kind of symbolically. Okay, they're they're symbol, uh, symbolizing spiritual truth. For the women represent two covenants, two different ways of relating to God. One covenant is from Mount Sinai and bears children who are to be slaves, and this is Hagar. And, uh, and Hagar, she stands for Mount Sinai in Arabia, catch that, and corresponds to the present city of Jerusalem. So here, here he is. He's setting up his allegory. There's two women. There's two sons, two ways that these sons were produced. And he says the, the first in this, in this allegory, the first woman is Hagar. She's a slave. Um, her descendants uh, through Ishmael became the Arabs. They lived in Arabia. Uh, Mount Sinai, where Israel received the law of God when they came out of Egypt, is in Arabia. So this whole thing's lining up. And so he says, so here's the thing. Uh, Hagar, she kind of represents those who would relate to God through the Old Testament law and try to be right with God through the law. And, and that always leads to spiritual slavery, as we've seen throughout Galatians. And, and he said, and, and that corresponds to modern-day Jerusalem in Paul's time that was the center of Judaism living by the law. Okay, so, so Hagar represents a whole way of approach to God. That's, it's by self-effort. Uh, it's by keeping the law, and it's represented by, by uh, the, the current Judaism of Paul's day. So he's setting up this analogy, okay? So then he goes on. He says, um, but the Jerusalem that is above, not the earthly Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem, the kingdom of God, in other words, the Jerusalem that's above, it's free, and, and she is our mother, like as as Christ followers, we're not really spiritually descendants of Hagar. We're spiritually descendants of Sarah. And so for it's written, and then he, he quotes the Old Testament. This is a quote from Isaiah 54. He says, Be glad, O barren woman, who bears no children. Break forth and cry aloud, you who have no labor pain. As long as you've never, never been pregnant. Because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband. So he's, he's taking this prophecy from Isaiah, and he's going to apply it both backward in time and forward in time. Backward in time, he says, this is just like uh, the time of Abraham and Sarah. She was the barren woman. 
that she could have no children. She had no labor pains. And, and yet, through a miracle, she had more children than, than Hagar, that one had natural kind of relations, you see? So he's applying it backward in time. But he says, but then also future in time, this is the prophet Isaiah predicting a time when, when the nation of Israel will come back to the land and Messiah will be born and a whole new, new movement will start. And, and though the nation of Israel once was like childless because it was taken away to Babylon in captivity, one day it will come back, this whole movement will start, and this whole, whole movement of the Messiah and, and that will produce all these these kids, these, these spiritual descendants of Abraham, okay? So then he goes on, and he says, um, now you brothers, remember you, you Christ followers, you are like Isaac, okay? So you're, you're like, you, uh, you're, you're children of the promise, you're free, you're not spiritual slaves. He says, at that time, back in Genesis, the, uh, the son born in the ordinary way, so who would that be? Which son? Ishmael, yeah, he was a son born in the ordinary way. Back then, he persecuted the son born in the power of the spirit. So back in the, in the day, uh, I told you this story before, when, when, uh, when Isaac was weaned, and, you know, when he was two or three, there was this mocking that went on between Ishmael, the slave son, and Isaac, the free son. And there was this persecution that happened with, with the, the slave son persecuting the free son. And so uh, Paul says, you know, it's happening all over again. It happened then, it happened now. Because in Paul's day, it was like the, the, the Judaizers, the, the, kind of the, the Jewish authorities in Jerusalem, they're persecuting the new movement of Jesus, who are the true descendants of, of Abraham, the free children. So he says, uh, it's the same now, but what does the scripture say? And this is quoting back in Genesis 21. Get rid of the slave woman and her son. This is what uh, Sarah said. Get rid of the slave woman and her son, for the slave woman's son will never share in the inheritance with the free woman's son. Therefore, brothers, uh, as Christ followers, we are not children of the slave woman, but we're children of the free woman. So back at that time, uh, Ishmael, was the slave, was persecuting Isaac the free. And he says it's happening again in our day and time that, that these, uh, kind of the, these Jewish legalists, approach to things. They're persecuting us who were free. But he says the bottom line is they're going to get kicked out. They're not going to be part of the inheritance because they're rejecting the Messiah. And we are the children of the true inheritance because of our faith in Christ. Okay? So, so that's the passage. And kind of very difficult, uh, tough passage to follow. But here's the bottom line of it. What, what Paul's saying is what he's been saying all through Galatians. That, that when a person, a man or woman, comes to God, there's only two ways to relate. You can either relate based on your performance and your religious acts or your good deeds or whatever. You can, try to, you can try to relate to God that way, but the end result is you end up in spiritual slavery and you'll never receive the inheritance. You'll never be part of God's kingdom. Or you can relate to God like Abraham did through faith and through promise and through the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and then you'll have a true relationship with God and you'll truly be spiritually free. Okay? So there's nothing really new that's being said in this illustration. It's an illustration that Paul's giving to help us understand. But there's really nothing new being introduced that we haven't already learned in Galatians. Are, are you with me in this? There's just kind of an il it's illustration. Probably, catch this, probably because of a conversation that was going on in the church of Galatia about this passage that we don't even know about, that, that he's responding to. But, but for us, okay, so it's another illustration, we get it, but, but really we've spent enough time there. As a church, we've spent enough time in Galatians, we get, this, we get the message. So today, I, I don't want to spend any more time there. Here's what I want to do. In the time that we have today, 
I, I want to go back to this story because it's such a compelling story of Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and their two sons because I think there's some powerful lessons for our lives there about what it means to be a Christ follower and what it takes to walk well with God in your life, what it takes to, to kind of become the person he's made you to be. And, and the lessons have to do with learning to wait on God in our life. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section that's called uh, Learning to Wait, uh, one of life's toughest lessons. And, and I just want to focus on three things, kind of three lessons that are really critical for us to understand as we look at this Old Testament uh, story of Abraham, Isaac, and Sarah. So here we go. Number one, uh, first lesson that flows out of this story is is that for our life, that this is absolutely essential, that that learning to wait, waiting is important, okay? That this is one of the most important spiritual lessons we could ever learn. Uh, Waiting is important. So let me unpack that, what I mean. What I mean is that if you're a follower of Jesus, now if this hasn't happened for you yet, uh, I, I've got bad news. Uh, it will. Uh, that, that if you're a follower of Jesus, that sooner or later, you are going to go through what I'd call a time of waiting in your life. Uh, it's, it's sort of like a spiritual desert. Um, it, it's a time where, where you thought you knew what God was doing, and now you don't have a clue. It's a time where you thought you knew how life was going to work out, and it is not working out. It is a time in your life where you're following God by faith, and it's just, it doesn't seem like he's coming through. It doesn't seem like he's listening to your prayers. You may not have a sense of his presence. It doesn't seem like he's answering you. He's not leading you. He's not keeping up his end of the bargain. Are you with me there? Okay, so, so most of you have probably been Christians a little while. You've, you've probably experienced this. And so what I'm saying is that, that one of the most important lessons of the spiritual life is what to do when we're in the desert. And, and what I'm telling you is that one of the most important lessons in life is learning to wait on God for his direction, for his leading, uh, for his next step in, in the desert, as opposed to taking matters into our own hands and, and trying to get out of it ourselves. Does that make sense? Okay, so, so let's talk about this for a second. I want to talk to you about why these times of waiting are so important, because we're all going to go through it. So, so I want to help you understand why God leads us into these times of waiting. And, and there's certain things that God can do during times of waiting that he can't do any other time in, in our life. There's certain things he can do. And I was thinking about this week, uh, I, I want to talk to you real quickly about five things that happen during times of waiting. And, and I, there's more than five, I know, because I've cut some out. Um, but, but these are like my, my top five, at least for this week. Catch me a different week, it'd be a different top five. But uh, th- here's my top five. Number one, that times of waiting uh, develops our faith in God. That, that it's in times of waiting that our faith grows. Now, uh, to be honest, this is very counterintuitive. Because when you're in a time of waiting, it seems like the opposite is the truth. Like when you're in a time of waiting, it seems like God's not coming through. You're probably feeling like weaker than ever about your faith. Like you're trying to hold on. You're trying to believe. You're doing everything you can to hold on to the promise of God. But inside of you, your doubt is rising. Inside of you, your fear is rising. Your stomach is getting tight. Your chest is getting tight. You're experiencing anxiety. And you're trying to hold on to the promise of God. But it's hard. 
and, and you feel so weak in your faith, right? This is what it feels like, and so it's kind of counterintuitive. But this is how it works, is that when God wants to strengthen a man's faith or a woman's faith, that often one of the ways he does it, he takes him into a time of waiting because it's there that as our faith is stretched, it's actually going to grow. It's much like working out. Like if you were to come to my house, which many of you have for a next step dessert, but if you were to come to my house and we were to go out to my garage, you would see a lot of uh, weight equipment there, kind of a lot of workout equipment. And I keep it there because even if I don't use it, it feels like I, I'm about to. And so, <laughs> so, so I just feel better, like, look at there. Like if I ever work out, I'm ready to go. And so, um, so anyway, but, but if you've worked out in your life, you know how this works. Like, like if you go to a personal trainer the first time, if you've never worked out, at the end of your first workout, you think you're never going to be normal again, right? You're just exhausted. It's like if you had never worked out in your life, if you don't understand how muscles work, you would think that you push them to the point of exhaustion, you would think, I'm done. This muscle is never going to work again, right? But, but that's not what happens. When you, when you push a muscle to the point of exhaustion and then you give it a couple days off, it comes back stronger than ever, right? And that's exactly how faith works. The way faith works is that God stretches us to the point of exhaustion to where we feel like, I cannot trust you anymore. I'm going down. If you don't do something, I'm about to lose. And at that point, God says, great, take a couple days off. And so then you come back and all of a sudden your faith is stronger. It's the weirdest thing. You know, I've gone through this many times in my life. And so one of the things God does in times of waiting is he stretches and strengthens our faith as counterintuitive as that might seem. A, a second thing he does in times of waiting is he shapes our character. And especially in the area of endurance and perseverance. That, that ability to just kind of hang on and do the right thing over the long haul, even when it's painful. That, that there's nothing like a time of waiting that, that, sh- that creates that in our, our life. Uh, a third thing that he does, it's in times of waiting that God teaches us how to surrender. Now, uh, learning to surrender to God's will in our life is one of the most, very most important spiritual lessons in all of life. And God often uses times of waiting to bring us to the point of surrender. Because here's what happens. We all have a vision for our life, whether you know it or not. We have a vision, we've got a plan, and we think we know what God's doing, and we think we know how God's going to work this out. And so what happens is we get into a time of waiting, all of a sudden we realize this is not working out like I thought it was going to work out. And so we begin to go to God to, to understand. And what happens is it forces us to come to God and to say, obviously your plan for my life is different than my plan for my life. And it brings us to a place of surrender where we learn how to submit to him and say, okay, this is not my will, but, but I'm willing to accept your will. And that just happens in times of waiting. It happens over and over again. If you've ever gone through this, how many times have you been willing to quit? You've been ready to stop. You've been willing to, to, to just run. And then you finally come to God and you say, God, okay, if this is what you have for me, okay, I'll trust and you surrender. And this is so important because it's at the point of surrender that God's spirit is released in our life in new power. And so, and so this is one of the things that happens in times of waiting. A fourth thing that happens during time of waiting is that God deepens our relationship with him. I don't know if you've noticed this, but in, time, in good times in our life when everything is going well, we tend to drift spiritually. It's kind of like, catch you later, God, I've got this one for now. 
But in times of waiting, what happens is we're driven to God, and it becomes like, God, the one thing I need more than anything in life, I need to hear from you. I need to know you. And so, so times of waiting force us to press in to God. And, and in those times, we come to know him at an all-new level that, that we'll, we'll carry with us the rest of our life. Like, we move to a whole new level of relationship. A fifth thing that happens is that in times of waiting, God prepares us for our future and prepares our future for us. And let me explain what I mean. Like, uh, like in my life, uh, the last couple of years uh, before I came to Rocky Peak were some very difficult years in my life, very, very tough years of waiting. And it was hard to understand what God was doing. But, but when I came to Rocky Peak, I had an instant understanding, and, a, and I think I get what God's been doing the last two years. He was preparing me to lead this church. He was preparing me for leadership. And now looking back, it's so clear why this pain was happening because he was preparing me in so many ways to lead here. But also when I got here, what I found is if he brought me here two years earlier, it wasn't the right time. That if the church wasn't ready for me to come and I wasn't ready to come. Are you with me in this? And so what happens is that God's got a plan for your life and, and he's got to do two things. He's got to change you to make you the right person for the plan and he's got to change the plan to be, get it ready for you to come. You see? It's kind of like a relationship. He's got to get you ready for the woman but he's got to get the woman ready for you which may be even bigger uh, chore. So, uh, <laughs> so, so, so this is what happened. Okay, so... Are you with me? This is why God takes us into time of waiting. That God never takes us into a time of waiting because it's arbitrary, because he forgot about you, because it's like, oh yeah, I forgot about them. I was working over here. Let me get back to them. Uh, it's like that never happens. It's like when God takes you in a time of, of waiting, it's always because he's trying to draw you, shape you, change you, prepare you, and prepare your, your future. Now, you see that in the life of Abraham. Uh, you see, in the life of Abraham, there was 25 years from the time of promise to the time of fulfillment, but, but God was working on Abraham the whole time. And, and what we find is that, you know, Abraham becomes a model of faith in the Bible. Like, you want to know how to have a relationship with God? It's by faith. Well, who, who's a good example of that? The, the, hands down, example in the Bible is Abraham. He's the father of the faith. It's like, you want to understand faith, read his life, read his story. This will show you what faith is like, Okay. So how did he become the father of the faith? How did that become his rep? How did he become, was he born that way? No, it's like it was through this time of waiting that God strengthened his faith. In fact, in Romans 4, it says that, that during this time of waiting, that his faith was being strengthened, okay? Uh, how did Abraham become so close with God? Do you know this? That as far as I can think off the top, Abraham's the only person in the Bible that is called the friend of God. Did you know that? And, and, like, how did he become so close to God to get that name? Like, it's a pretty cool name, friend of God. And it was through these hard times, you see, he was drawn into relationship. And then you think of his, his life. And, you know, God had a plan from the beginning for Abraham. He wanted Abraham to have a baby when he's 100 years old. Like, that makes an awesome story. And he wanted Abraham to be the leader of this new nation that was founded on faith. Okay, and so what does that take? Well, it takes 25 years to, to prepare Abraham to lead that nation, but it takes 25 years to prepare the story because having a kid when you're 75 doesn't make a very good story. Yeah, you know, it's like what does here and now, but 
<laughs> That'd make a great story today. But, but then, no big story. You know, if the story starts off, you have a great nation, boom, you have a kid, no big story. But, but let the story, like, be wait till you're 100 years old and have the kid. Now, that story goes down for all time, you see? And so God was preparing him for the future, but preparing the future for, for him. So, so here's the point I want you to catch. If you're a follower of Jesus, trust me, you're going to go through t- some dark times. When you're you're going to go through some times when it's not clear, where God's voice is not present, where you're not knowing exactly what he's up to, where it's a place of pain. You're going to wonder if God's promise is true. Trust me, you will go through these times. And what I want you to catch is that it's one of the most important times in your life. That, that this waiting that God takes you in, guarantee you that God will shape you, meet you, change you, prepare you for your future. It's one of the most, very most important times of your life. Okay, number two. Then the second, the second principle that flows out is kind of obvious. In fact, it's almost embarrassing to say, but it's just so true that we have to start here. Uh, waiting is hard. And you're like, and you got your doctorate for that? Uh, nice job, Mike. Uh, waiting is hard. Can we all have an amen on that? Yeah. Yeah, have you been there in your life? You're probably some of you there right now. You're out of work. You've got a son or a daughter you're concerned about. You've got a health issue going on. Uh, you've got financial issues. You've got spiritual issues. Uh, there's things going on, and you're like, God, I'm trusting you. This is hard. It is hard to be in the desert. Uh, it is very hard, and it's for us as human beings there's something especially about our fallenness. It is just a hard thing to learn how to wait. And so here's the big temptation. The big temptation during times of waiting is to take matters into our own hand and try to make something happen, even if it requires compromising our character in the process. Okay? And so here's what I want you to catch. That, that waiting is a time of great opportunity for spiritual growth, Waiting is also a very dangerous time for us spiritually. That, that in times of waiting, there's a huge danger that we will compromise who we are. And instead of waiting for God's leadership, God's direction, His spiritual what we do is we take matters into our own hands. We try to make something happen. We compromise, and, and then we end up paying the price. Now, you, you see that in this story. Um, this is exactly what happened with Abraham and Sarah. You know, 75 years old, God gives the promise, we're good. 85 years old, uh, you know, God, God has uh, kind of carried out all his promises except this one, this, that you're going to have a son, you're going to you know, be a nation. Now, part of the story that I haven't told you that's important, 75, at age 75, he gets the promise. At age 85, they make the big mistake. But between those two times, and we're not sure when in that 10 years, somewhere in that time, God came to Abraham. It's, we're, talk, we're told this in Genesis 15. And Abraham has this conversation with God. He says, God, uh, at this point, according to the law of the land, my lead servant, a man by the name of Eleazar, he's going to inherit my estate. So I appreciate your protection. I appreciate your blessing. But unless we get an heir, everything I own is not going to my descendant. It's going to my, my lead slave. And so God takes him outside, shows him the stars. He says, that's how many descendants you're going to have. And then he, God makes a statement. He says, uh, that a, a, a child, a son coming from your own body will be your heir. Okay, that's a quote. A son from your own body will be an heir. Okay, so now it's fast forward. He's 85, and, and nothing's happening. There are not many kids, and it's been 10 years since the promise. And so at this point, Sarah 
decides to come up with a plan. And so you can almost see this rationalization. Can you see this coming? It's like, here comes the rationalization. And this is what happens in times of waiting. We're tempted to compromise, and the way we do it is by rationalization. And so here's what she does. She comes to him, and you can almost see this. Kind of picture him at Starbucks. Okay, just order. They got their lattes. They're ready to go here. And she goes, I've, I've been thinking about this. And, and God promised to give us a son, right? Right. And he promised it would be through your body, right? Right. But what didn't he promise? It would come through her body. So there's, there's probably some things that God assumes, Right? He probably, when God makes you a promise, certain son things he assumes. Like he assumes, Abraham, yes, it's with your wife. <laughs> but so, he, so here's Sarah. She's like, well, he said, child, he said your body. He didn't say my body. So you know how, how the custom is around here. You know, it's all legal and everything. A lot of people do it. I'm thinking, you know, Hagar, you know, my Egyptian slave. Like, how about maybe you sleep with, maybe that's what God wants to do. Maybe God's in this. Maybe he wants us to use our own head and use our own ingenuity. He's kind of trusting us. And, and so maybe this, you know, like this, other people do, a lot of people do this. And so they, they rationalize, right? And so, so they, that's what they do. Now, this is what I'm, I'm telling you. This is exactly what we do during times of waiting. The temptation is to rationalize and compromise to help God out. So let me give you a couple examples. Let's say you're single, okay? You're, you're single, and you're a Christ follower, and you're a passionate Christ follower. You, you want to please Jesus. So you know that Jesus is very clear that, that when you date someone, you marry someone, it needs to be a passionate Christ follower. And it needs to be someone who loves Jesus, is growing. You know, it's not a non-believer. It's not someone who, yeah, well, I went to church when I was young. You know, it's like it's someone who's growing. And so you, that, you're setting your sight by that. You're going to follow Jesus. And, and then now it's been three years and you haven't had a date in three years, and you're, you're getting older, and your biological time clock's running, and you meet this guy at work, and yeah, he's not a believer, that's true, he's not a Christian, but, but he does believe in God, and he's a lot nicer than a lot of Christian guys you've known, and so, and so you're like, well, maybe this is it, you know, like, maybe this is, this is how what God's doing here, and, and you know, and my friend Pam, I've got a friend named Pam, and, and she, this is, you know, she married a non-believer, and then he came to Christ, and so maybe this is what God's doing, I bet he's led me into this person's life to lead him to Christ. You see? And, and everyone around you is like, what are you doing? Like, oh, I think God's in it. I, I think, you know. And, and so, or, or the guy is a Christian, supposedly, but, but he's got like, he's got so many red flags that when you look up a red flag in the dictionary, it's got his picture, you know? Or it's got her picture, and you're like, well, I know she's got a lot of issues, and I know she's got a lot of baggage, but she's just never really had a man who loved her. And I think if I love her, and all your friends are going, whoa, you know, and, and I, they're like, no, no, really, trust me, we get along so well, you know, it's like, you know what? And so, and so we, we, we compromise, right? We, we're not listening to the Spirit. Now, let me give you another example. Uh, you're out of work. You need a job. The, the, the bills are piling up. You, you've been applying for months. Uh, you, 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 everywhere you go, you put in your resume, you just don't have the qualifications. So all of a sudden you start thinking, you know, I, I know I'm the best man for the job. I know I could do this job. And so, you know, maybe I should alter my resume. You know, I, I should like 
take this part out and put this part that's not true in. And, you know, everyone does it. And after all, it's not even fair. I'm competing against people who are lying. And so it wouldn't really be like lying because I'm just competing on the same level. And, and after all, it's not really whether uh, what I've done in the past. It's what I can do in the future. And I know I can do this job. I can learn anything. And frankly, once they hire me, I'll be such a good employee, they'll be glad that I lied to them because, you know, I wouldn't have had the job. And they'll be so glad that I'm, right? Uh, or, or here's one. Um, well, I know it's the porn industry, um, but you know it's part of the lifeblood of Chatsworth, and it, and uh, in a way, it'd be kind of like supporting the community, and and, uh, and you know if I don't take the job, someone else will, right? And so it's going to be done one way or another. And wouldn't you want a Christian getting paid than a non-Christian? And so we go, on, you know, see what I'm saying? We we get in this situation and we can rationalize it around. Here's one of my favorite ones. Uh, you know, a couple, they don't want to raise their kids in California. I mean, we're almost bankrupt. We're going to fall in the ocean. Like, who would want to live here? And so, um, and so it's been their dream. Like they, they're going to move. It's always like Colorado, you know? Colorado, they're going to move to Colorado. Uh, or, or maybe Tennessee, that's another hot spot. Remember, it's Tennessee. Oregon, of course, Oregon. Um, Ohio, if you're, if you're really, like, kind of um, not real. Well, anyway. Um, <laughs> Sort of like my assistant and our tech director. But anyway, uh, so whatever reason, uh, <laughs> oh, whoa. Oh, my gosh. Unless the Lord leads you to Ohio, which I'm sure he is. So anyway. Wow, it's just, just a go with the flow service. Uh, so, so anyway, uh, so here's the deal. So you, so you got your life group praying for you. We just want to move. We want to get out of state. We want a different thing. We want to raise our kids in another place. And, and so you got this thing going, and, and you're praying about it. And so nothing's really opening up. There's really no open doors, right? But, but, uh, but, but you're always scanning the Internet and everything. You finally find this job. Well, it's not, it's not really Tennessee, but it's Arkansas, not too close, far. And, and so maybe that's the first step. Maybe that's how God's leading us. And so, yeah, there's no great churches there, but, but I'm sure you don't got to provide. And, and so, um, so, so, you, so we're going to, okay, we, all your friends are going, like, we're not feeling this. As we pray about it, we're not feeling this. And it's like, hey, hey. But, 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 you know, God calls people to take a step of faith, you know? And I've never liked this life group anyway. You're all too conservative. And so, um, <laughs> and so this is what we do, right? This is exactly what we do. We, we get tired of waiting on God, and, and so we rationalize and we compromise, and the end result is we always pay the price. And, and so what, what happens? Like in Abraham's life, what, what's the price they pay? Well, at first they're all excited, you know, that, Hagar's pregnant. They're going to have a son. They got an heir. They're excited. And this is how it works in your life and mine. Often, when we first compromise, it works. You know, you you move to Arkansas. It's so beautiful here. We got a stream behind our house. It's just awesome, you know. Let me send you some picture. Uh, You get the job, and sure enough, I'm succeeding on the job, and I I knew I could could do it. Uh, uh, You know, we've like, well, no, we've been married for six months, and so far it's not too bad. Uh, You know, whatever. Um, We we make the move, and it seems to go, and then all of a sudden it begins to unravel. And so in Abraham's life, all of a sudden, now there's this cat fight going on between his wife and and the mother of his child, and 
And it's gone for 13 years. It's going to tear that family apart. In, in the end, he's going to have to kick out this son that he loves and, and his mother just to keep peace in, in the family. And then they're going to go on and they're going to start the, the, the Arab nations. And you know that's not really worked out so well for Israel. So uh, you, just, you, see, you see this ripple effect. And this is how it works in our life is that we compromise. It's like a stone going into to the pond. And then there's this ripple effect that goes out. And we pay the price. And so now all of a sudden, hey, that house that we had to have and we, we lied on our application because we, we knew, you know, because we, we needed to get the loan. And then all of a sudden we can't afford the house. So we have to foreclose it or take two jobs and stress on the family. And it's like, man, I wish we never would have got this house. We moved to Arkansas, and the one thing we didn't find out there is there isn't a good church there, and there's nothing for kids to do except drink and, and cruise. And so now your, your, your kids, in three years, they grow up to be teenagers, and there's nothing to do, and, and that's what they do, and they fall in with the wrong crowd. And the whole reason you came was to raise your kids in a better place, and you're like, man, I wish I was back in Southern California with, you know, where it was safe, you know? And... and <laughs> And, and now you're into the marriage, and it's like, wow, my friends told me I shouldn't have. And, and now you have kids, and you're trying to raise your kids, and, and he's not a believer, or she's not a believer, and there's all this strife, and your kids are coming and going, well, Mommy, God says there isn't a God. What do I do? And you're like, what did I do with my life? You see, and so we compromise, and then, and then we come back, and we, we have to pay the price, right? So, so waiting is hard. It, it's a hard thing, but it's so important to learn. Now, number three, the, the last lesson that, uh, that jumps out to me is that uh, waiting is worth it. Um, and I think that's the lesson of Abraham. You know, God in his grace, uh, he, he just continued to love on them, and he, he kept his promise. Even though they compromised, he kept his promise. And, and so uh, this, this beautiful story unfolds um, that after 25 years, 24 years, uh, God comes to Abraham, and he says, Abraham, a year from now, you're going to have a son, you see? And, and so God had this plan from day one. This is what I want you to catch. When God has us in a time of waiting, it's always because he's preparing us and he's preparing our future. Like he would not lead you into a time of waiting just to make life miserable for you. Like if you're, if you're in a time of waiting, it's because God is loving you and preparing the plan for your life. And here's what I'm saying. If you will be patient and you will wait, and you will surrender, and you will trust, it will be worth it. And there will come a day where you will look back and say, I am so glad I didn't cop out. I'm so glad I didn't compromise. I'm so glad I didn't quit. There will come a day when you will laugh. There will come a day when you will look back on the pain and say, I get it. And this is what happened to Abraham, 99 years old. God comes to him, and he says, Abraham, remember that promise 24 years ago. Well, a year from now, you're going to have a baby. And it's so preposterous. It is so ridiculous. It's so outlandish. It's so brilliant. It's so beautiful that God's had this plan all along that on a, a, a hundred years old, not 101, not 99, at a hundred, the perfect story is going to happen. That, that God is going to give birth to a nation through which the Messiah is going to come and rescue the whole world, and it's right on time. It's right on time. And so when Abraham hears us and when Sarah hears us, you know what they do? <laughs> they fall down laughing. 
uh, the Bible says that Abraham literally falls to the ground laughing. The whole thing is so ridiculous. Like, God, you are so brilliant. You are so, like, you are so beyond us. Man, for 25 years, I've, I've worried about this. I, you know, I, I jumped in. I compromised. And just, this is so crazy. But what an awesome story and what an amazing God you are. And you knew it from day one. And so when the baby was born, they turned to Sarah and they say, um, what do you want to name the baby? And she looks at that baby. She's 90 years old. And she looks at that baby and she says, um, I, I want to call him Yitzhak. Um, I want to call him Isaac, which means laughter, right? I, I, I want to name my little boy laughter because, because everywhere he goes his whole life, every time he's introduced, it's going to give me a chance to tell the story of this amazing God who has a plan for our life that is unbelievable if we'll just wait, you know? And so from that point on, she's like, he's growing up. Have you met my son? What's his name? His name's Laughter. Really? Yeah, it's hilarious, you know? <laughs> it's just like, we call him hilarious for short. You know, it's just, we just, like, uh, uh, it's like, really, like, that's funny. Like, why did you name your son that? Because God has made us laugh. And she says, and, and everyone who hears this story will laugh with me. They'll, they'll laugh at how good God is. They'll laugh at how amazing and how brilliant and how beyond us he is. They're just going to laugh. So I'm going to call him laughter, you see. There's a, there's a great psalm, and it goes like this. It says, weeping may endure for a night, but joy or, or laughter comes in the morning. And that's the story of Abraham and Hagar and, and Sarah that that waiting, it, it's hard. It is so hard. But trust me, God does his very best work in your life during times of waiting. And if you will trust him, um, and if you will not compromise, and if you will listen to his spirit, and if you will not cough out, and if you'll let him shape you and mold you and draw you and change you and arrange your future, there will come a time and there will come a day when you will laugh and all who know you will laugh with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, it is so hard to wait. God, I, I know there's things in my life right now that just are painful things. They're just things that I've just been waiting on so long. And it's just so hard to believe that you are a rock and you are our salvation. And, and God, I'm sure that for many of us here, we could affirm that, that there are things today that we're waiting on, we're trusting you for. It may be a job. It may be a relationship. It may be a child. It, it may be um, a fertility issue. It may be a spiritual issue. Uh, there, there may be a relationship problem. There may, may be a marriage that needs to be healed. Um, it, we could just go on and on, Lord, that, that we are waiting on you. And it's hard. It's hard to wait, God. And sometimes we're in a place of pain. And it's so tempting to, to give up on you. It's so tempting to, to step in and fix it ourselves, to compromise and to make our own way. And God, today, we just as a church want to come before you and thank you for this story and, and pray that you would teach us how to wait on you and that those who wait on the Lord uh, will not be ashamed. 
and that those who wait on the Lord will mount up with wings like eagles, and they will run and not be weary. That those who wait on the Lord uh, will experience laughter. And, and we pray this in your name. Amen. I mentioned this during the prayer, but, you know, Abraham, um, well, Jesus said when he came that Abraham saw his day and, and rejoiced. And so Abraham may not have known Jesus by, by name, but, but he knew him. He had met him, um, that Jesus had come to him, that he was the one who had led Abraham uh, his whole life and, and that led him to the place of promise. And the, the same Jesus that led Abraham is, is the, the Jesus that leads you, it leads me. And the one thing I know about following Jesus is there are times of waiting. I, I know that. Um, there are times of desert. There, there, there are hard times. And, and the second thing I know is that it's during these times that he does his very best work in, in our life. And so I just want to speak to you today. I don't know what your time of waiting is right now. I'm sure some of us are just, just life is going great. But I'm sure there are many here that there, there's something you're waiting on, you're trusting God for. You know, maybe, maybe it's that job. Maybe it's um, that person. Maybe it's a situation. It's a health issue. I don't know what it is, but, but you're waiting and I just want to remind you what we've learned, that the same Jesus that led Abraham um, uh, 4,000 years ago is the Jesus that leads us today. And, and that as we wait and we trust him, that his power will eventually be released in our life, and there will come a day that we will laugh. And so may that day come in your life where you come to the end and you experience the promise and you laugh with him. Um, I, I hope you can be with us this next week. Um, I, I know it's 4th of July. Um, and so for the three of us that will be here, um, <laughs> I just wanted to tell you, we'll be meeting here in the front, the old small group. I'll be leading, and uh, we're going to start with singing Kumbaya and holding hands. And uh, No, I, I look, in all seriousness, I, I am looking forward to a great service next week. I know a lot of you will be out of town and so on, but for those of you who are here can come. Um, it, it's a powerful passage in Galatians. Uh, it starts off, it's really the theme verse of all of Galatians. It starts off, it's for freedom that Christ has set us free. Therefore, don't let anyone mess with that. Uh, it's kind of my translation. And, uh, and so we're, we're kind of ending next week one section of Galatians, and we're entering in, it's a transition, it's a entering into this new section. First, the first part of Galatians, the main part has been how our relationship with God is not based on our performance, it's based on what Jesus did. It's not religious, right? The second part of Galatians is, is the second part of the message of Jesus that about it, how it's all supernatural from beginning to end. It's, it's through the power of his spirit that we follow. It's through the power of his spirit that we're transformed. And so it's extremely, it's a powerful, it's a pivotal passage. And so if you're here in town, be sure to join us. Uh, if you're not in town, I just encourage you to podcast it or get the CD because it's, it's kind of really a, an important bridge passage in this series. Until that time, uh, may, may the Lord be with you, and may you experience the freedom that, that Jesus came to give you, a freedom from your past, uh, a freedom from uh, the, your dark side, a freedom from uh, religion that is, leads us to slavery, and a freedom to be everything that God has created us to be. So I hope you can join us next week as we continue that journey. God bless. Well, that's going to do it for this week's message. We hope you've enjoyed it as much as we have putting it together. Please visit us at rockypeak.org where you can download more messages or have your questions answered. 
Remember, you can subscribe to our weekly podcast for free by searching for The Church at Rocky Peak from within the music store in your iTunes software. For Lead Pastor Mike Yearly and everybody up here at The Peak, thanks for listening.